Hope you're doing well. We are in the book of 2 Peter. If you have a Bible, you can open up to 2 Peter. This uh, year, we're studying through the Bible, reading through the Bible together, the journey. And this particular month, we are in the forge of perseverance. Forge of perseverance. So we're talking about persevering in the faith. Um, And as we called it the forge of perseverance, Jordan uh, was never, ever more happy to get to actually build his own forage uh, for that video and Google and research and figure out how to make, thing th- make things 3,000 um, degrees. So he actually did that himself. And for $20 at Home Depot with a shop vac, you can create something that gets to be 3,000 degrees. Just ask him how to do it. But that, I think that's his favorite video he got to do. Um, he researched that more than anything I've ever seen him research. Um, anyway... <laughs> Back to the actual topic. We are looking at Second Peter today. So if you have a Bible, you can uh, open up to Second Peter chapter 1, and that's where we'll be. Uh, forge of Perseverance. So Forge of Perseverance, we're dealing with the fact that um, we are believers in Christ, and since we're believers in Christ, God doesn't just save us and then pull us up to heaven and say, oh, good job, now you can come with me. He leaves us here for purposes, for, for reasons. We, whenever we're saved... It's a while until we go home, if you will, to be with the Lord. And so while we're here, we have to persevere in the faith. We have to continue in the faith. And so over this next month, we're going to look at different texts that deal with that. Second Peter, and then the rest of the uh, weeks, we'll look at First John. So uh, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to persevere in the faith and stay in the faith. So I'm going to, I'm going to pray, uh, then we'll read the text, and then we'll, we'll look at what it means to persevere in the faith or continue or be sanctified in the faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you would be with us now as we look at this particular text. We thank you that you've given your word to us. We thank you that it promises that it just does an amazing work and that, I mean, just as someone who preaches, I'm so thankful that nothing is dependent upon my words, but instead upon your word with the power of the Holy Spirit joining in with your word, not mine, and changing us. And so I pray for that this morning, that as we look at this particular text, God, that you would, you would come now and superintend the moments of your word being preached. And I do pray for myself that every word I say would be guarded, careful, true, helpful, and that anything that's not those, that you would keep me from saying it. But also, Lord, I, I, I pray that you would, in my mind, put me in the seats out there as well and realize that I'm hearing this with them, that I and all of us are hearing this together to become more Christ-like, that I am dependent upon you completely, not just for saying these things, but living these things out with my, my friends here. So would you come now with all of us and give us eyes to see your word and ears to hear and a deep abiding love for Jesus, for these things to be true. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So in Second Peter, this is uh, obviously Peter the Apostle writing to a group of Christians. He wrote this around 68 AD. So uh, he wrote First Peter around 65. So it's about three years after First Peter was written. This is roughly 30-something years after Jesus had died. So he had grown up in the faith. He is getting to be close to an old man. Um, and he wrote this from a prison, a Roman prison. He knew that he was going to be killed 
very soon for his faith. And he's writing both of these letters, first and second, but particularly Second Peter that we're looking at today, um, to the same group of people, those that were being persecuted for their faith, those that were new in the faith. These particular people were, were new in their faith, and he's trying to write them and help them understand um, As a new Christian, this is what it's supposed to look like as you live your life out as a new Christian, helping them understand what that looks like. So let me read, and then we will will, uh, unpack the first 11 verses. And and just remember, this is Peter writing to new Christians to know how to live out their faith. So with all of us relatively new in the faith, whether we've been Christians 10, 20 years, we still have quite a bit of life ahead of us. And so these, these verses are helpful for us as well. Simon Peter, verse 1. An apostle of Christ Jesus to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power, talking about God, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us into his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall away. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These are the words of the Lord to us this particular morning. As we're talking, as we're uh, referenced, this, this set of verses is written to Christians primarily. So for those of you that are in Christ, these verses are for you to know how to persevere, continue in the faith. For those of you that aren't Christians, perhaps you were invited this morning, these verses are still for you, uh, but know they're primarily for Christians. Uh, but for you, you need to hear what we read right there in verse 9, that you can be cleansed from all of your sins, from all of your former sins, every sin that you have committed, but also will commit, you can be cleansed from those. So this text is for everyone. Uh, primarily, it'll be speaking to those who are Christians. And as we are Christians, whenever we come to know Christ, we know that our main goal in life as a believer in Christ now is to magnify the glory of God. We want, we want to live a life that gives God glory, gives God worship. And that's happening through sanctification. Sanctification is this, once you become a Christian, until you die, this process of sinning less and becoming more like Jesus, more like Jesus. It's, it's actually not necessarily always an upward trajectory. We know that it can have some ups and then downs. And then some more ups and downs. But the whole of the Christian life is upward in regard to becoming more like Christ. If it's not, well, we'll address that. Um, but we, we know that in our sanctification, we want to do things like uh, achieve personal holiness, become more like Jesus, sin less in our life, make more disciples, see people come to know Christ, etc. Um, but 
whenever we're walking through Christianity, whenever we're walking through becoming a Christ follower, I think sometimes it can become, whenever we don't have the, the triumphant successes like we want, it can become discouraging. Yesterday, I went to Harris Teeter around 7 p.m. with my kids. They had done a good job cleaning up the house. Um, and because of that, they got a reward. So we went and got them some donuts. And what, it doesn't matter what I'm getting. So my point is, we're, we're get, I took um, four of them with me. I took the top four with me. So we, we're, getting, we're getting back in the car. And as we're lead, leaving, uh, we're getting in the car and we're driving. And out came a teenager. Now, maybe this isn't uh, necessarily descriptive of all teenage workers at Harris Teeter. But th- this one for sure. And here he is as we're, we're driving out. You know, whenever you're driving around Harris Teeter, we went towards the thing. And then we went... Over here to Red Bull. That sounds good for lunch anyway. So we're driving out. And so as we're, as we're driving, here comes the, the, uh, the worker. You know, he's got his vest and his khaki pants and his name tag. And he's walking out. Like, it's like 7 p.m. It's dark. So no one can see just how slack he is walking like this. I got the job to pick up the carts. No one's watching. So he's walking out. And I remember when I was driving by remarking, that guy's in a hurry to get all the carts, y'all. And they kind of laugh like, yeah, yeah, he's going really, really fast. Um, and my whole point is like, Mr. Eeyore walking out to get the carts. I think that when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to being sanctified, that in our minds, accidentally, we can find ourselves, well, I know the promise of Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work will bring it to completion of Christ Jesus. I know that. So I know the truth is, because I've heard it before, I'm going to be sanctified. So my sanctification Looks like the teenager walking out to get the carts. It's going to happen, so, I mean, why rush it? I mean, here it is. It's going to happen no matter what, so I'll, I'll get it, and if it takes 10 years, whatever. And I think that sometimes, because we don't see successes and we know those verses, that our sanctification looks like a teenager getting shopping carts at Harris Teeter. There's no, there's no running. There's no striving. There's no pursuit. There's no hustle. Instead, it's just, well, it's going to happen. So, you know, whatever. I want to, in this particular uh, text, as we're looking at this, help us see that that's not the way sanctification is supposed to be. Let me ask it this way. All of us ask this question. How much, with the rest of my life, do I really want to be sanctified? How much? Am I okay with meandering around the Harris Teeter parking lot slowly or am I okay with pushing striving which one do I really want in my walking out with Christ now justification or you know being saved isn't just asking Jesus in your heart like you're taught in VBS it's there's a whole lot more it's regeneration God opening your eyes to the truth of the gospel. Justification, where you ask Christ in your heart and he declares you righteous. It's sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. And when you die, when you go to be with him, glorification. All that is salvation. But when all the, we look at all those things, God does on his own power three of those things. And God alone. Only God regenerates, only God justifies, and only God glorifies. But sanctification, you can't get around this in the Bible. Sanctification is done by both God and man working, if you will, hand in hand, pursuing Christ's likeness in your own life and realizing that it's God's hand kind of shoving you down the road and making it happen. But without question, the Bible, as we read, always points it to us as opposed to doing that as well. You can't get around it. 
You can't just be like, well, God's going to sanctify me, so whatever. That's not the way the Bible reads. It always says, yes, God, but you. Okay, yeah, 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 God, but you. It always wants to put it back in your court, if you will, and realize that sanctification is your job. So back to the question. How much then do you want to be sanctified? Because you can meander around in the parking lot and be okay with that. Or you can run. You can strive. What I want you to see here today is that this text help us, I think, gives us encouragement to strive. Now, one little, uh, one little discussion point. There is tension in the Bible. You, you can't get over it. We're, there's all kinds of texts, all kinds of concepts that whenever you put these two things up against one another, you just, how can that be and how can that be? I don't understand how they both can exist at the same time. That there, there are tensions, mysteries in the Bible that exist. And when you look at both of them, you just have to say, okay, since I'm not God, he understands it and I believe he understands it and I don't understand it fully. There are, that doesn't mean... You know, live with tensions and never ever try to push yourself to understand. That's not what I'm saying. But there are tensions that we have to just say, the Bible's painting a tension here that I don't necessarily understand, but I have to say both of them are true. So let's go ahead and the first two things are going to have a tension. But I wanted to make sure that we say there are these things sometimes in the Bible that when they're there, I can't say that both can't be true. They both have to be true. But one thing I can say with absolute certainty is you're supposed to be sanctified. You are supposed to grow. Now, you may not be able to see that all the time. I can't like bring out my big collection of kids and put them there and like, okay, I'm literally watching you grow right now. Stretch. Like that's not impossible. But I can put them up against the wall, you know, measure their height and then come back, you know, a year later and put it up there. And then I can say, oh, you did grow. I couldn't actually physically watch you grow. That would be kind of strange, but, but it does happen, right? So because we can measure it but not necessarily see sanctification in our own lives, it doesn't mean it's not happening. But these are the things that you can measure, that you can over the long period see, but you don't necessarily see happen in the short term. You start seeing yourself putting sin to death. You start knowing more scriptures than you did before uh, two years ago. The Holy Spirit starts stirring your affections more often when you think about Jesus' atoning death for you than it used to happen. Oh, yeah, Jesus saved. Ah, that's awesome. It saved me. That's great. But now, sometimes it hits a little deeper, and you're emotional, and you don't know why you're emotional, but the idea that he did that stirs you deeper than it used to, or you find yourself talking about Jesus far more often than you used to. You, that used to scare you to death, but now it doesn't. In between services, I was talking with one of our members who gave just one of our business cards, our little invite business cards to his boss and wanted prayer because after he gave it to his boss, he got cussed out by his boss for giving it to him. And he was discouraged. And, but I say, that's the kind of thing in sanctification when it happens, we do it anyway. He does it anyway. We start seeing things like we're far, at least in my own heart, I think we can all agree, the selfish desires that we have start decreasing. We don't see ourselves as acting as selfishly as we used to. Or perhaps, this is one, I love this one. This is a guy named Scotty Ward Smith. He says, sanctification shows that you hate 
and you grieve at bad theology, but now you're not hateful and cynical to bad theologians. So you treat people differently even though you disagree with them. So you're growing in sanctification. And you could list, that's six, you could list, you know, 150 more if you wanted. But those are the things that you start happening and seeing in your life. So we're going to look at sanctification and what it looks like. Now, this isn't on my my list, but I want you to make sure you feel what these people felt. This is Peter. This is Peter writing to them. I mean, 30 years after Jesus died, Peter. Acts 2, Holy Spirit came down, 3,000 people got saved, Peter, writing to them. Remember Peter? Like, he really preached it that day, shut the corn, everything. Like, 3,000 people got saved that day, Peter, writing to these new believers. And they're like, Peter! I mean, we're talking about Peter! New believers. Feel this. This is what he looks at them and says in verse 1. I'm writing to you who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. I mean, just imagine how they hear that. Peter, there's only 12 apostles ever, and he's one of them, and he's writing to us lowly, you know, letter receivers, and he's saying our faith, because we're in Christ, and so it's not about anything else besides Christ, he says that our faith is of equal standing with his. Application, so is ours. If you're in Christ, because of the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ being applied to you, then your faith is also of equal standing with Peter, Paul, whoever you want to name from the New Testament that's in Christ. My point is, is that we're not trying, God's not trying to, to paint, you know, a, uh, a Marvel comics of, of heroes that we can never achieve to. You know, you got Captain America Peter and Iron Man Paul and, you know, I'm just these guys. I'm, I'm the extras that get hit by the car that they throw and I'm dead. Like, that's not how it is. We're all the same when it comes to the text here that he's trying to say is there's no, like, Marvel comics. Everyone here, because of the righteousness of Christ, is on equal standing with everybody else because of Jesus. And so sanctification doesn't just, like, Happened for Peter and Paul, but not for me, because they're the superheroes, not me. That's what he's trying to help you see. Sanctification can happen for every single one of you. It's as difficult for you as it is for Paul, and it's as attainable as it is for you as for Paul and Peter. Verse 3, tension. Here comes the tension. Here comes that first tension. His divine power, God's divine power, has granted to us, that's believers in Jesus, All things. Now, if you want to know what all things means, it literally just means all things. (laughs) So anything that you can think of, yes, that too. All things that pertain to life and godliness. Okay, that means becoming more holy, becoming more Christ-like. Everything that has to do with my life, becoming godly. Am I going to achieve it? Yes. His divine power has granted to me all things, all the tools I need for my toolkit are here with me right now, given to me by, by God, so that sanctification can absolutely happen in my life. No questions asked. It's yours. Look what he says. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become, oh my goodness, partakers of the divine nature? We'll talk about that in a second. That's an astounding sentence. 
having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So when we're talking about sanctification, there's no way around this. Everybody that's a believer, this verse is telling you, whether you think it's going to happen or not, everything you need for salvation, for, for sanctification has been granted. First note, first remark regarding sanctification is this. God has granted you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Every tool in your toolbox is there already, given to you by God. Your sanctification, your becoming Christ-like, is going to happen. I find that very encouraging, especially on the down weeks. You know, when I was talking about the trajectory, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm hitting down, I need to know that it's going to happen. You're becoming Christ-like, if you're in Christ, is going to happen. Your holiness is going to be achieved. Here's verses that help you see this. Philippians 1.6, I already said this one. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work, that's talking about your salvation, in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is going to make sure that your becoming holy happens. Here's another one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, verse 23, 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. So may your whole body be not sinful until Jesus comes. And then notice this next sentence. He who calls you is faithful. So where's your trust? Where's all your hope? Jesus. He who calls you is faithful. And then this next little phrase is astonishing. He will surely do it. That's what it says. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, He will surely do it. Is there any sentence in the Bible more certain that sanctification is going to happen in your life? I, I don't know that there is. He will surely do it. So for us who have resigned that we won't ever be sanctified, you are absolutely wrong. What might be true is, is that you're just kind of meandering around in the parking lot like Eeyore because it's going to be so slow and that discourages you. But what's true from here is sanctification is going to happen. It's absolutely going to happen. God has promised you that it's going to happen. So much so that whenever we are eventually saved completely, it says that we will be partakers of the divine nature. Does that mean that we're going to become like little deities? We're little, little gods, little, little Christs, if you will, up in heaven? That's not what it's saying. Partakers of the divine nature, as Calvin points, is not in essence, but in quality. So we're not becoming God, but the quality of us is that we become Christ-like. So when we are glorified, we will look to be like Jesus. We will look like him, but we won't be like him in essence, not in essence, but in quality. We will be made like Christ, but you won't actually become a God. That's good. That's good. Heaven just has one and it only needs one. <laughs> okay. So that's the first side. Now here comes the tension. Because I've already said, I mean, Hearing that, if I stopped and we prayed, everybody would be like, all right, I'm going to be sanctified. Amen. I'm, let's, let's go. I don't need to hear anything else. Don't tell me anymore, Fudd. Well, here's the other side. Here's the tension part. Okay? 
we know, verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And I read Philippians 1.6, and I read 1 Thessalonians 5. It's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Okay, that sounds like no matter what, it's going to happen. I can't, I can't wreck it. Well, here it is, verse 5. For this reason, for the fact that God's already given you everything, I, I, I don't know how to interpret these words any other way besides there's tension. Make every effort. Make every effort. When I hear that, Peter, it sounds like you're talking out both sides of your mouth. It sounds like God's done it. Don't worry about it. Oh, actually, but you also have to make every effort. Here, let me say the tension to you. If God has given me all I need for godliness, then do I have to make every effort? Or say it this way. If I have to make every effort to attain godliness, then has God given me all I need for life and godliness? Yes. That's the only answer the Bible's pointing us to. There's the tension. How do you understand that? Well, I'm not God. I, I can't fully. But what I can say is both are true. And so as believers, I'm going to lean on one side and say, God's given you everything. For the faint of heart who think it can't happen, God's given you everything. But for the other side who just say, ah, oh, it's mine no matter what, I'm going to say, you got to make every effort, man. What are you doing? You can't just cruise. This isn't put it on cruise control and we're, we're going to the end of our, you know, life. You got you to make every effort. The walking out into the the Harris Teeter parking lot has got to be like, I'm getting this thing done. Like, I want to kill sin. I want to be more Christ-like. So the second thing is this. If God's given us everything, the tension is number two. You must pursue holiness with every degree of strength you have. I don't think there's any other way for us to understand the Bible in regard to sanctification. It is not an optional thing for you. Just because you've read Philippians 1.6 and 1 Thessalonians 5.24 and it's, you know, on a card on your mirror doesn't excuse you from every single effort. Make every effort. He also tells us in verse 15 to make every effort. He, he is going to tell you consistently, make every effort. How is this possible? Well, one of the best answers in understanding this tension, I think, comes from Philippians 2. We've probably address this quite often but let's make sure we understand therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed and so now not only in my presence but much more in my absence that's Paul saying to people he says work out your salvation work out your own salvation with fear and trembling so you've got to work not work for but work out you've got to make every effort in regard to your sanctification you've got to you've got to do it but at the same time he says for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So there's, there's this two lanes, if you will, of our sanctification happen. And the best thing that we can say is God regenerates, God justifies, God glorifies. But sanctification is, as a, if you will, a hand-in-hand effort with us and God. Certainly, it's kind of God giving you a little nudge, you know, like, He's giving you one of these kind of Holy Spirit pushing me. But I'm still like, my legs are actually, they're walking. He's not like shoving my feet down the road. I'm literally taking the steps. And I would just add, joyously, not begrudgingly, 
So this is how Kevin DeYoung says it. If you never heard of Kevin DeYoung, he's a pastor in Michigan. He writes a lot of good stuff on this idea of being sanctified. I, I encourage you to look him up. He says this, if justification, being declared righteous, feels like good news and sanctification just feels like punishment, it's not Christianity. Sanctification is not punishment. It's just as much a joy as, and good news as justification. So we're talking about pursuing Christ's likeness as a joy that we get to have. Sanctification is from God and by faith, de Young, but unlike justification, it's not by faith alone. We have to make every effort. And the making of every effort, I would add, is not just a slow meandering through life and, you know, half-heartedly striving to kill this sin. I think it's a joyous sprint that we get to do. So there's the tension. There's the tension. God's given us everything? Yes. So I have to pursue everything? Yes. Both are true. So what does my pursuing look like? If, if you're type A, maybe you are or not, you need a list. Okay, Fudd, that's so big and broad. Um, what does that look like? That's a good question. It's not a bad question. Peter anticipates that. And so he gives us a list. For those of you that need like, just give me a list, Fudd. That's what I need. Just show me. I want to do these things every day. I want to try these things. Give me a list. All right. Peter does. Look at verse 5 through 7. Here's your list. This is what your list looks like. I'm supposed to pursue sanctification, make every effort. Put up number three. This is what making every effort looks like. This is what you're pursuing sanctification, which is number two, looks like this. Virtue. Knowledge. Self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. If you need some meat on the bones to know what it looks like, then this is what it is. It's moral goodness, virtue, moral goodness. It's knowledge. It's necessary for acting wisely. It's self-control, having discipline in your life. It's steadfastness, being steady in your walk. It's godliness, which is holiness, Christ-likeness, Sinning less and becoming more like Christ more. Brotherly affection. That's love for fellow Christians. And then he kind of widens it out for for all people by putting love on the end. And love, which is love for all people. So it's a previous, uh, a wider kind of love for than just the previous brotherly affection. And you're saying, okay, that's it? Seven things? Well, man, I think I've got about four of those down. So like three things, I should do that before I'm, you know, 40. All right, listen, this is not an exhaustive list, and I'm going to give you some more, because there are way more lists in the Bible than just this. The fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, 22 and 23, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So there's another list of also, take this and put on that list. There's another list, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, put on then, as God's... Chosen holy ones and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint, forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven you. So we need to put on the ability to forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. One more list, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Okay, that means to be sanctified. And here's what it looks like. With all humility gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 
that's a lot. I, I didn't count that up, but that's a lot of stuff. Got to be into the 30s, maybe. So there's your list. Second uh, Peter 1, you've got Galatians 5, you've got Colossians 3, and you've got Ephesians 4. And I don't think those are exhaustive. You could find more. But I do think that if you take just those four, that'll take you the rest of your life. You, you, you're set with those four. So when you say, okay, what does it look like? I want you to notice here that this isn't just like shedding negative things. It's adding positive things. It's not just, oh, I've got this wicked sin, I need to get rid of it. It's also adding virtue. It's adding steadfastness. It's adding self-control. Christ-likeness isn't just, you know, erasing the negative things off your life with an eraser. It's also artistically God drawing in these beautiful things that you're supposed to add, like patience, forgiveness, love, gentleness, unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. These are the things that you're supposed to pursue. These are the things that you are supposed to literally make every effort. So when you hear that list of 30 things, and it is overwhelming, I don't, I don't disagree. It doesn't erase this. You are supposed to make every effort now. Every thing inside of you is radically searching out the, the parts of your heart that don't submit to Christ and destroying those and the parts or the descriptions of a Christ follower. You're adding those things as much as you possibly can and you, you are making those things happen. I am putting my feet on the ground and causing these things to happen. And just I'm knowing that it's not me. As I do this, Philippians 2.12 says it's me. But Philippians 2.13 tells me that it's God who's willing and working in me to bring these things about. So he gets the glory, not me. But I have to do it. We have to do it. So sanctification is something that we have to do. Now, let's get into maybe the, uh, the more encouraging part. Because when you hear that, you're just like, well, man, that sounds like a lot of work. It is. It is a lot of work. It is supposed to be a lot of work. It's not supposed to be, just be like, you know, rainbows and, and lollipops. It's supposed to be difficult. But here's, here's where it gets, I think, awesome. This is why I think it's so encouraging. Look at verse 8. For if these qualities, that's that uh, list of seven things, are yours and are increasing, that, that knocks out the type A'ers that think that they can just check the box. Well, I got that one done. No, you don't because you can never check it. <laughs> They're yours and are increasing. So as much as you think you've got that down, it still has to be increasing. Okay, so I still have to always work on it. Yes, so you can give yourself a half check if you want. If you need to do a check, do a little half check, but you'll never get to do the other side um, or this way for y'all. So you, you, if these are yours and are increasing, notice what happens. If I am doing my part, all the things that the Lord has commanded me to do, what does my life look like? then I will not be ineffective and I will not be unfruitful. I will, if these, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if these things aren't happening in my life, but if I lack these qualities, that list, that I'm so nearsighted that I'm blind, having forgotten that I was cleansed from former sins. Now, this is the encouraging part. You don't need to just skip over 9b. 
Notice what Peter does. Again, because he was gospel-centered before it was cool. He roots sanctification in the gospel. What is he doing? He's saying daily, hourly, minutely. You need to remind yourself of what's already happened. You've been cleansed. They're not against you anymore. You've been cleansed. Now that you have been cleansed, you can live this way. You can walk with Christ. You can become more holy. You can make every effort. You can actually be effective. You can actually be fruitful. Let me, let me read it, a couple of verses to you. The first one is Colossians 2.6. Taking that idea of because the gospel has declared me this of already true, what can I, uh, holy and, 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 and cleansed, what can I live like? Colossians 2.6. Therefore, as you receive Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Is that easy, Paul? Yes, he would say. Or Philippians chapter 3. I know I refer to this one all the time. It, it might be one of my favorite verses. Philippians 3.16. Not John 3.16. Philippians 3.16 says... Only let us hold true, that's Christ's likeness, to what we've attained. It's already yours. That's why he, Peter here grounds it in the gospel. Remind yourself that you have been cleansed. And when you have been cleansed, then you can remind yourself that you can be effective. If we took a poll here of Christians... Who wants to be effective and fruitful for Jesus? Who wants to be ineffective and unfruitful for Jesus? Like the poll's gonna be 100%. This is what I want. But okay, who is effective for Jesus and who is ineffective for Jesus? And then the poll switches. Like I don't feel like I ever do what I'm supposed to do, right? But we all want it. Peter's rooting something here. Effectiveness, fruitfulness in reminding yourself of the gospel. You will not do it without reminding yourself of that. And sanctification occurs. So go ahead and put up number four for me. So here's the fourth remark regarding sanctification. Those that are being sanctified must be fruitful. I don't think there's any way. If you're being sanctified, then you must be fruitful and you must be effective. If you're a Christian, your life must be effective and must be fruitful. That's what he's trying to say. If you're practicing these things, they keep you from. Therefore, I can also say... Those that are being sanctified must be effective and must be fruitful for God. So when you look at your life, you're asking, am I effective and fruitful? You have an answer right there on sanctification. But what's true is that you must be. You must be. But why? Because you have been cleansed. You have been cleansed. So we think of our cleansing in two ways then. Think of our cleansing. In regard to sin, I've been cleansed and I don't have to do that anymore. That's the negative side. But we also think about it on the positive side. Because I've been cleansed, I'm so amazed by that that I want to do bear fruit. I want to be effective. The love that you have for Christ motivates you to be effective and fruitful. Um, there's a There's a... He used to be a, the community group pastor at North Rock Hills. He's a pastor in uh, Easley now. Easley. Y'all know where Easley is? Near Pickens? Kind of over in the worst part of the state, near Clemson? Um, anyway, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But when we think about bearing fruit, we always kind of think about, yeah, I need to bear fruit. So I, I bear this delicious piece of fruit, and I can put it on display and say, 
look at that beautiful piece of fruit. And we all kind of stare back and we say, you're going to get like the 4-H club for that, man. You won like the biggest watermelon there is or whatever. Like we never actually think about, at least I haven't, what's this fruit for? This is what he says. This is so good. I never thought about it. The main purpose of a tree, speaking of us, that bears fruit is so that it will nourish others. Oh, man. The fruit is supposed to go to the anemic Christians or the struggling Christians. I, you, you create these big pieces of fruit to give to them. So it's not on display. Look at my huge watermelon. It, it's so that they can eat and they can grow and be nourished and grow to be like you. It's not like God's like, you've got to bear fruit for me. I'm hungry. If you don't give it, I'm never going to starve to death. God doesn't need anything from us. It gives him glory, but the fruit bearing in God's infinite plan is for other people. And he gets the glory as other people are growing, and it's because of Jesus. So you strive to be effective and and, and fruitful for God because you've been cleansed for the betterment of of your other fellow man and woman, of course. I mean that in the broad sense. So that's why I love this verse right here. One of my favorite, I keep saying that. I just have a lot of favorite verses. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Because you hear that and you're just like, I'm just so discouraged. Like, I just feel the exact same. It never, it never changes. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You can't get around that. You're a new creation. The old isn't there with you still as the new. The old has passed away. You're a new creation. And so because of that cleansing that you've received, we don't stay where we are. Calvin says it this way, and awesome. The blood of Christ has not become a washing bath for us so that we can just continually sin and be fouled by our filth. In other words, you don't come to know Christ to stay in sin. You come to know Christ to be cleansed. So the blood of Christ has not become a washing bath us that we may be fouled by our filth or continue in sin. He therefore calls them old sins by which he means that our old life ought to be otherwise formed because now we have been cleansed from our sins. Not that anyone can be pure from every sin while he lives in this world or that the cleansing we obtain through Christ consists of pardon only, but that we ought to differ from the unbelieving as God separates us or sanctifies us or separated us for himself. Though then we daily sin and God daily forgives us and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from our sins, yet, here it is, sin ought not to rule in us, but instead the sanctification of the Spirit ought to prevail in us. So what's true is that you are not, you are not captivated or enslaved to whatever it is you think you are anymore. As a matter of fact, you've been cleansed and that's gone and you don't have to just live your life of sanctification trying to kill sins, but you get to actually do the positive things. Be more virtuous, be more steadfast, be more self-controlled, be more knowledgeable, be more humble, be more loving. All these positive things are yours now. They are yours. And because of that, now you can be effective. 
Now you can be fruitful. Effectiveness and fruitful is usually not put in the categories of killing sins. It's in the categories of doing the positive things. And they are yours. Grounded in verse 9b, the cleansing. For those of you that find yourself still enamored, if you will, with former sins, Spurgeon, I think, answers this the best. Oh, what a wordsmith Spurgeon was. When I thought God was hard, I found it easy to sin. But when I found God so kind, so good, so overflowing with compassion, I beat upon my breast to think that I could have ever rebelled against one who loved me so much and sought my good. These kinds of thoughts are the things when we think, We just can't do it. God is not hard. No one has loved you more than Christ. No one is more kind or so good or overflowing with compassion to you than God. And so you absolutely can. Absolutely can. Because, verse 3, His divine power has granted to you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Verse 1, you have obtained an equal standing with where who we all think are the superheroes. An equal standing. So yes, it can happen. So here's the last thing I want you to see, and this is where it gets tough, I know. Back to tension. Verse 10, therefore, so anytime you, uh, we say this all the time, anytime you see a word therefore, you have to stop and look what it's there for, all right? So based on everything I just said in verses one through nine, you need to know this. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent. He's already told us to make every effort. Now he's even telling you to be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. So Peter believes in calling and Peter believes in election. And he's telling you to make sure it's sure. This, this month is the forge of perseverance. It's talking about persevering in the faith. Can I really know that I'm in the faith? Can I really persevere? Can I actually know that I'm saved? Yes. And he's telling you, make it more sure. <laughs> You're gonna, when I read this, I'm just like, what? Look what he says. Make your calling and election sure for if you practice these qualities. Again, that's verse 5 through 7. That's that exhaustive, non-exhaustive list of stuff that we're supposed to, being a Christian is supposed to look like, if we practice those things, watch this, you will never fall away. What? I can be sure that I'm elect, because it's God who elects, if I, sounds like dependent upon me, practice these qualities. That sounds like it's up to me. If I practice these qualities, then my calling's sure. Which one is it? And again, we, all I can say is you got to go back to the tension and say, I still believe in verse 3. He's given you all things you need in life and godliness. I still believe in verse 1. You've obtained an equal faith. I still believe in Philippians 1, 6 and 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. I don't think that you can get around this. Yes, it's absolutely in your sanctification. I think what Peter's trying to do is stress to us all, you have to make every effort. But praise God, he's done it for you. But you still have to make every effort. 
you can make your calling and election sure if you practice these qualities. So if we're just talking about down here at the, at the, the earth level, my responsibility, how can I make sure that I am saved? He's telling you this. Of course, of course, faith in Jesus. Of course, cl- cleansing. But if you just want to talk about the pragmatic day-to-day thing, knowing that that's happened, he's saying, you need to look at that list and you need to be doing that list. Not for the list's sake. Don't become a list worshiper. You're still a Jesus worshiper. But if you need something tangible, there it is. This is what sanctification looks like. And that's how you can mentally make your calling and election sure. But don't just grab that one text and throw out verse 3 or verse 1 or the Bible. That still, yes, the Lord does it. So, back to my initial illustration with, uh, you know, Bobby or whatever his name was in the parking lot yesterday. I don't know what his name was. (laughs) My walking around the parking lot, if you will, my being sanctified, isn't me like Eeyore. Well, I'm going to be sanctified. Instead, it's a joyous sanctification. I am joyously collecting these carts, or if you will, I am joyously doing this work of sanctification because it is a joy to do it. And by doing it on one human side, I am making my calling and election sure, but on the other side, because God's already declared it. And I want it to be sure, so I'm going to do these things, not because they make me saved, but because I am saved. Those that are being sanctified show that they are truly saved and will live with Jesus eternally. Number five, those that are being sanctified show to themselves primarily that they are saved, truly saved. Not to others. You're not, I mean, you can fool anybody. I can fool you right now. And Well, anyway, you can fool people. The, the proving is to yourself. You show that you're truly saved and that you will live eternally with Jesus. Now, I don't want you to miss that. That's, that's probably one of the most important sentences. For in this way, notice that the word richly didn't have to be put there in order to still understand it. Could this be for in this way there will be provided for you an entrance? To try to, with words, which are always falling short, um, because words are finite themselves, with, with words trying to describe to us the entrance we will richly, this has been richly provided for you, an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you. So if you persevere to the end, what happens is you will be saved and you will live eternally with Jesus. Make sure you say it that way. Don't say you get to go to heaven because heaven then just becomes the place. And I'm just excited about the place. It's not about the place. It's about the king that's in the place that sits on the throne. It's about him. So wherever that place is, it doesn't matter to me. I want Jesus to be there because heaven's Jesus, not the place. So what will happen is if we persevere to the end, we will be richly provided for us an entrance into the eternal kingdom where Jesus is the ruler. Jesus is the king of that kingdom. That's the the goal or the gift or the end result will be richly provided an entrance into heaven. So don't make any mistake here, okay? So I'm not saying that you will in sanctification have instant freedom from your sin. That's not what I'm saying. Sanctification 
is progressive. That's, it's always going to be something that seems to take a while. Sanctification is a process. Sometimes the Lord allows that it takes a while to have victory over sin. Mainly because I think he wants you to remember to depend on him. That you need him. But there is comfort in knowing that in that struggle, which is a good thing, the end result is this, that there will be richly provided you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's a sure thing. The calling and the election provides for us at the end of sanctification an entrance to be with our King Jesus forever. So, if we think about sanctification, let's think about it this way. It is us working with Jesus. But just to make it so that you're not the co-hero with Jesus, verse 3, Jesus is the one that establishes it. We know that the only way that we can do it is through Jesus. We know that he's the one that provides the cleansing. And the end, we're provided into entrance into not, you know, but in Jesus' kingdom, Jesus' kingdom. So in the beginning, in the middle, in the end, Jesus is still the hero of sanctification. Not you, not me. Praise God. Because my head would blow up with pride. Probably yours too. So since that's the case, as we talked about sanctification, I think that as we lead into a time of worship here, the only right response then is, Jesus, you're the hero. You get all the glory. Empower me by the Spirit to live and make every effort. That's what I want. I want to be effective and fruitful. I want my life to be put on display for you where I have lived for you with everything and I know that the whole time it's been you doing it. So now because of that, I want to worship you. If you're not a believer in Jesus, this is the moment for you to put your faith in Christ. This is the time where you can be cleansed of all your former sins and future. But for those of you that are in Christ, the source, the only source of your sanctification ultimately resides in Jesus. So let's give him the glory for it. Let's worship. Let's pray. God, be with us now as we worship you. You're so good to us. You're so kind. The only way that this can happen in our life is because of you. And I pray that in these next moments, even though it's cloudy and rainy outside, hot in this room, Maybe we're tired, stayed up late last night, or we got up early this morning. I don't know. God, I pray that all those things would kind of fall to the side and there would be a single focus on who you are and your goodness toward us and that we would worship you right now because you're worthy. Praise in Jesus' name.